How are you? Hey, I've got a little bit of laryngitis. That's why I'm carrying so many cups of liquid. <laughs> I'm just going to put some things down. Hold on one sec. There's just the most beautiful presence of God here right now. And I'm wondering if we could just start by praying. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus. We want to thank you for this church. We want to thank you for Pastor Dexter right now and his beautiful wife. And we just want to pray that wherever they're at right now, doing your work, God, that you would bless them. You would teach them, you would encourage them, you would pour out your Spirit upon them, Lord. And Father, for us here at home, Lord, will you lead us? Lord, as we walk upon the water, call us. Lead us to where our trust is without borders. We're going to go wherever it will be that you will call us, Lord. We're going to say yes We're going to say yes We're going to say yes, Jesus Come on, let's say yes, Jesus Yes, Jesus, amen Okay, amen, thank you so much for having me Oh my gosh, you've got a women preacher and I sound like a man (laughs) It's going to be fun Hey, um, I just got a real sense that God wants to do something really powerful with you all. I just feel like as I was standing there in my chair worshipping, I just saw like you're all like sticks of dynamite and that the Lord wants to use you powerfully in this place. But He wanted to break off limitations off you. The the good behaviour, I felt like He wanted to just mess you up a little and shake you up, break off some of the limitations and the mindsets that you might have so that He can use you like dynamite. Do you feel like that might be a good thing? Amen. You can take a seat if you like. Thank you so much for playing for me. Well, it's exciting to be with you. My name is... Do you normally play the whole time? No. Thank you. (laughs) Let's give her a clap. Well... I am Christy, like I've been introduced, and my husband and I, you and we, pastor Oasis Church together. Um, He is also an animal orthopaedic surgeon. He's a clever guy. Any other vets in the house today? Any other vets? No, not here. Um, So he has his own business and he does that during the week, and I um, orchestrate and administrate our church And then he's a Sunday guy. We do it together on Sundays. We have four kids. Um, I know I don't look old enough to have four kids, but we do. We have four kids and um, we planted Oasis Church four and a half years ago. We'd both been on staff in other churches before that, but God really called us out in an amazing way. And we planted Oasis Church much like this with 30 people. You guys are a bit bigger than what we were. We had 30 people when we started in our lounge room and we started um, meeting at Atwell College. And now there's over more than 300 people who call Oasis home. So God has been kind and amazing. And it's an incredible privilege to do His work. No matter where we work from, we're all doing His work. 
Okay, well, I love that story of Peter walking on water. It's perhaps one of my favourites. Are you going to be okay with me speaking like this? (laughs) Maybe we'll get to meet again on different terms. But for today, we're going to go with it, okay? We're going to pray that my voice holds out for us. Um, But one of... It's one of my favourite stories and there's so many reasons why, but one of them is because I actually love the ocean. It's one of my favourite places. I do beach walks on the ocean twice, not on the ocean, although I'd like to walk, just like Peter, on the beach. And um, I really love the ocean. It means a lot to me. And anybody else love the ocean here? Right. So my dad has always had a boat his whole life. And when we were younger and at school, at high school, he would wake either me or my brother up at 5am before high school started and he would wake us up because he would need a decky. So he used to pull cray pots, actually, what am I saying? He used to, he still does pull cray pots out at Garden Island, which is in the Coburn Sound. And we would go out there, he'd wake us up, drag us out of bed. Sometimes it was still dark. And we'd go out there, pull the cray pots before school, get the crays out and hightail it back into Perth and then we'd get ready and go to school. We did that a number of times a week. And so the ocean is very special to me. But there was one time my dad had just bought a new boat and um, we were trialling it out and I got saved at 19. So I must have been a little bit older in this story because I was a Christian. But we had often found ourselves in trouble on water. And this one time we, um, we were trying out the new boat and we were gunning it over to Garden Island. And all of a sudden water started gushing in from underneath the boat into the boat. And my dad was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? So he thought, well, I'll just drive faster and faster and faster until we get to Garden Island. And the more, the faster he's going, the water is just gushing up on the inside of our boat. So my dad, he throws me a bucket and he says, Christy, start bailing. So I start bailing and I start praying. I'm speaking in tongues and I'm going, Jesus, I've got a purpose and I've got a destiny and we're going to make it to Garden Island. And in all of my exuberance and prayer, I accidentally threw the bucket (laughs) over the side of the boat into the water. And then I really start interceding, Jesus, help us. And my dad just looks back and he's just horrified. Anyway, we get to Garden Island just in the nick of time. Like there's foam underneath boats and the foam had risen up and I was about knee deep in water. And we pulled up and we got there safely. But really, that's actually where we find the disciples in this story. They're on a boat in the middle of a storm. They're taking on water and they're trying to make it to shore safely. And the context of this story is really important. Because just prior to this story, uh, Jesus lost his cousin. John the Baptist was executed. And so Jesus... um, is grieving. We find him, he's actually tried to get away from the people. He said it went, he went to a remote place to get away from the people because John had been executed by King Herod who beheaded him for calling him out on his sin. And so Jesus is there trying to be in a remote place and process all that has happened to his dear cousin, his beloved friend, the guy who laid down his life for Jesus to come in on. 
And what happens is that thousands of people follow Jesus to the remote place and now he's no longer alone. He's, um, he's in a place where it says there's 5,000 men. Now, they didn't count the women and children, but we're not offended by that. But that means that there was probably more like 10,000 people with him um, as he was grieving and processing what had happened to him. And actually, this is the space where Jesus feeds the 5,000 miraculously with the five loaves and the two fish. And the beautiful thing that I love about Jesus is that he never lets his mood dictate his mission. In this moment of deep grief for him and deep sadness and needing to be on his own, he decided that he would feed the people regardless of how he felt. And that would be a great message in itself about how we aren't supposed to let our mood dictate our mission. But we've got other things to talk about today, so we're going to move on. But I'm going to just read out little chunks of Scripture to you today. And we're just going to go through this story. I love a good story. Anyone else love a good story? Okay, let's go. So we're going to start in verse 22. Thank you so much for reading it out for me, Dave. That saved my voice a little bit. But we're starting here. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Who made the disciples get into the boat? Jesus, and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Let's stop here and let's talk about that for a minute. I want you to see that the only reason that the disciples were in a storm were because they were being obedient. And let's talk about that for a minute. Sometimes in our lives, we end up in a storm because we've been following Jesus. And we start to ask the questions, did I hear right? Did Jesus actually tell me to get in the boat and go to the other side? Because now I find myself in the middle of the storm and it's not comfortable and I'm not happy about it. Did I really hear Jesus correctly? Even John the Baptist, his cousin, prophetically proclaimed three times that Jesus was Messiah, Jesus was Lord. But as soon as things start getting complicated for him, he says to his own disciples, can you please go and double check with Jesus and make sure that he really is the Messiah? Ask Him again, is He the Lord? Is He the promised Lord? And sometimes we double-guess the voice of Jesus when we end up in challenging, trying, hard, vulnerable places. Maybe sometimes we're uncomfortable with the storm because we have a bit of a faulty theology. Maybe it's because We've heard some people say that when life doesn't work out, when you end up in a rough place, it's because you've got sin in your life or you've done something wrong. And actually that's incorrect according to this story. The disciples were in a storm because Jesus sent them there. Or maybe your theology is faulty in this way. Maybe you think, well, because I'm a Christian now and I've embraced Jesus and I've made Him Lord of my life, then my life will be smooth sailing from here on in. And I want to say that that's not right either because in this story, Jesus sent his guys 
into a storm. And the thing I love about Jesus is that he's always sending his loved guys, his disciples on a boat in the middle of a storm. This isn't the first time. The last time, just a few chapters before this, we actually see the disciples on a boat. And this time they're freaking out because the water's coming in and they're going down, the ship's going down. And what's Jesus doing? He's asleep. He's asleep on the boat. And there's something about those moments that are vulnerable, that are shaky um, on water. You know, it's not solid ground where Jesus likes to teach his people things. And so he's always at work in the middle of the storm. He's always teaching us in the middle of the storm. And probably the reasons that he loves to use storms is because he usually has our full attention. When we're going through hard, challenging times, we normally come out of our slumber and have our eyes fixed tight on Jesus because we need him more, we think, when we're in the middle of the storm and not in the middle of blessing. Are you good? You're doing okay out there. So if he's got you on a boat tonight in the middle of the storm, if you're in a season that's unpredictable, a little bit vulnerable, if you're in a season that you are unable to control, you better believe tonight that Jesus has got you there and that he's trying to teach you something. What's he teaching you? What's he teaching you? So this is important to notice that Jesus was praying on the mountain and the disciples were straining. The disciples were consulting the weather, but Jesus was consulting his Father. And I have a question, why is it that when we have the ability to consult God in the midst of our storms, we sometimes opt to strain instead? We sometimes try to figure it out on our own instead of starting to pray and consulting the Father for His response. Why didn't one of the disciples in this moment say, Hey, I remember only two chapters ago, Jesus stood up and calmed the storm. Maybe we should just pray right now and get Him to do that again. But that wasn't in their mind to do. They strained. And sometimes... We don't pray when we're in the middle of the storm because maybe we're too stubborn. What's God doing to me now? Why am I going through this again? Sometimes we're ignorant. We forget to pray. And sometimes it's because we're angry about where we're at and what God's trying to accomplish in our life. We need to stop straining and start praying because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is on His way. I think you should just turn to the person next to you right now and say, Jesus is coming. He's walking on water. Say that. In the middle of your storm. And you know what? He shows up in every storm. Jesus shows up in every storm. In every storm. In every shaky time, in every vulnerable moment, in every uncontrollable season of your life where you're transitioning, Jesus shows up. Let's read a bit more, hey? Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And I want to add in here, there's this great little verse found in Mark 6, 48. Exactly the same story. Matthew's the only 
book of the gospel that actually shares the account of Peter walking on water. But Mark adds this part in. He says, he was about to pass by them. Back to Matthew, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. You see, Jesus shows up in every storm. But this is the issue. Sometimes we don't recognise God in the storm because we're looking for a rescuer when He wants to show us that He's an overcomer, that He has power in the wind and the waves. Jesus, He shows up. He's walking on the water. He created it. He's got dominion over it. He's pushing against the wind. They're both going in the same direction and Jesus is walking and he manages to catch up with them in five minutes. And the Bible says he meant to pass them by. I always wonder, Jesus, why would you pass them by? Why would you see people that you love straining in the wind, fighting against a storm and pass them by? And this is so interesting. I love this so much. That word, pass them by, is the same meaning as when God passed by Moses in the cleft of the rock in the book of Exodus. When God passed by Moses when he was in the cleft of the rock, it was to show him his glory. It was to show him his nature, his character, his power, that he, was, he had all ability to do whatever he could do in any moment, at any time. And this is the same word. In the middle of that storm, Jesus was trying to show the disciples who he really was. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's me. And he uses this Greek words, emiago, emiago. Do you know what that's translated to? I am. I am. And we've heard God use that before many times in the Old Testament. I am. I am who I am. I don't change. I am eternal. I am all powerful. All energy, all power in all the universe flows through me. And I am overflowing to you right now in the middle of the storm. And I am overcoming everything that's overcoming you. In the middle of your storm, I am over the wind and the waves. That's what he was trying to show them. Are you with me this morning, tonight? This is a new thing for me. Sometimes we look for a rescue with Jesus. Rescue with Jesus, pull us out of our discomfort. Rescue with Jesus, save us from this circumstance that I find myself in. But what we really need to do is remember who God is. I am. I am. And we can face any storm with I am by our side. Sometimes He doesn't take us out of the storms. Sometimes He empowers us to walk through our storms and to overcome them the way that He overcame the wind and the waves. But we find the disciples here, they they call out in fear when they see Jesus. This is the first mention of fear 
in that whole story. They're not afraid of the storm. They're afraid of Jesus. They're not used to seeing Jesus as I am. They're used to seeing Jesus as a lamb. The lamb who's come to take away my sin. Gentle, meek Jesus. And they're not used to seeing Jesus as the lion because he hasn't yet gone to heaven and been resurrected. And sometimes we're always looking for rescue of Jesus. Jesus, save me. I pray that prayer all the time. Rescue me when he's trying to show me. <laughs> Sound like a chipmunk now. When he's trying to show me, I am the lion who roars in battle on your behalf. I am the lion who overcomes. And I'm empowering you right now to walk through the situation that you find yourself in. And I'm not rescuing you this time. Not because I don't love you, but because I'm trying to show you that when storms show up in your life, you can overcome. Because I overcame. Come on, can I hear an amen this morning? You're very quiet. I'm used to the Oasis crowd. They shout at me. Interesting. It's not always good for us to be rescued. There's things that we learn in the middle of the storm that we would not learn otherwise. Okay, let's read a little more. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, my favourite prayer, Lord, save me. Save me now. And immediately Jesus reached out, his hand caught him. And he said this with a smile on his face, Oikos Church. He said, you of little faith, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He wasn't harsh. He wasn't angry. He said it with a smile on his face. Now, Peter's a fisherman. He knows how to deal with the waves. I did a little bit of geography, actually, when I was thinking about the Lake of Galilee, like how, how was it a lake and it got such big storms and so many waves and it was because it was in quite a depression. It was actually below sea level and the winds used to come down through the hills and create these storms. And Peter knows the waves. He's been dealing with this lake his whole adult life. He knows how to handle a raging wind. But it never crossed his mind to actually get out of his boat and to walk on the water until he'd seen Jesus do it. And the beautiful thing about this is that we're called to do the impossible just like Jesus. We're called to make the impossible possible just like Jesus. And do you know how Jesus could do the impossible? Do you know how he managed to do the supernatural? It's because just before he was walking on water, he was up on the mountainside praying. He had a relationship, a real relationship, a prayer relationship with his heavenly Father. What he could do in public, miraculously, he learnt in private. He learnt when he spent time with his heavenly Father. 
So if you want to do the miraculous, if you want to step out of your boat and walk on the water just like Jesus, you're going to need to do what He did. You're going to need to find yourself on a mountainside on your own in prayer, seeking the Father. And then you will do the impossible. And Peter calls out, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And listen, our response in every storm needs to be, Jesus, tell me to come. Jesus, tell me to come. Jesus, I need to hear from you in the midst of my storm. I need to have faith in you in the midst of my storm. Jesus, restore my vision in the midst of my storm. Jesus, I need to get face to face with you, eyes to eye with you in the midst of my storm. I need to hear your word for my life in this situation right now. Jesus, I need your empowerment, your overcoming power to fill me so that I can walk through the storm that you've got me in. Jesus, please tell me to come. Tell me to come, Jesus. By very nature, storms are designed to make us come to Jesus. That's their purpose. That's what they do. They bring us to our knees and they get us crying out, Jesus, tell me to come again. Maybe some of you tonight. Ooh, sprinklers. You're going to get wet? (laughs) Because we're in a boat right now in the middle of the storm. And maybe some of you haven't called out to Jesus in some time. Maybe you haven't said, Jesus, tell me to come in a little while. And I wonder if Peter would have got out of the boat if Jesus hadn't said, come. And the thing about that is, is that some of us never give Jesus the opportunity to speak. We never find ourselves in a place of prayer, listening, saying, Jesus, tell me to come and then wait for his response when he says, come. If we don't pray, if we are not connected to our Father, in those most vulnerable moments of our lives, we won't get his perspective. We won't understand what he's trying to do. And then we end up hurt, maybe a little bit bitter, maybe angry, maybe blaming everybody else all around about us. Instead of consulting him, Jesus, tell me to come so that I can get your perspective right now. You show me what it is that you're trying to do in my life so that I can listen, so that I can learn, so that I can obey. Interestingly, Peter was the only one that actually got out of the boat. There was 11 other guys sitting in the boat. What were they up to? Why didn't they get out of the boat? It's interesting, some of the language around the boat has actually got some parallels to the church in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in. So it's almost like the boat is the church. So I'm wondering, would you be Peter in this story? Would you be the one that gets out of the boat and walks on the water? Or would you be one of the 11 who stay in the boat, who find it easier in the boat. They never call out, Jesus, tell me to come. And maybe it's because their lives are marked by striving instead of by praying. 
We find them, they're in an unstable boat at this point, rocking in the wind, waves coming over the sides. They're fighting against the wind and the wave, but they decide it would be more comfortable for them to stay in the boat rather than get out and join Jesus on the wind and the waves. How about you? How about you? Are you more comfortable in the boat, even though it's being buffeted by wind and waves? Or would you get out on Jesus come? Maybe you don't want to get out of the boat. No, thank you. I'm happy here. My boat might go down, but I will go down with it. (laughs) I'd rather strain in the boat in my own strength, in my own flesh, then do something supernatural with Jesus Christ. I'm happy. It's all good. I'm in the boat with 11 of my mates. I don't even know if I need Jesus right now because I'm being cared for by my mates. We're all in this together. We're feeding each other. We're walking alongside of each other. Oh, I can see Jesus. He's just over there. But I'm not getting out of the boat to get too close to him. And boy, he better not get in this boat and get too close to me. Where are you? Are you in the boat? Maybe it's because you fear change and you're afraid of what it might mean to get out of the boat and try something new. Maybe you've lost your sense of belief. Maybe you prayed for something once and it didn't happen. God didn't come rescue you. He was trying to teach you to overcome. But now... You're not sure if prayer works anymore. You're not sure if when you call out to Jesus that he'll answer and you'd rather go down on a sinking ship. Maybe your prayer life sunk. Maybe you want to get out of the boat. It's just that Peter always beats you out of the boat and you couldn't compare to him. You couldn't do what he does. You couldn't play guitar as well as this guy here. And you couldn't sing as well as this beautiful young lady here. Or maybe, you know, you want to try and get to uni, but everybody else around about you has got better scores than what you've got and you just can't compare. You just can't compete with the Peters who have already got out of the boat before you and maybe that's got you worried. Here's one more thing that I wrote down as we were standing In worship, maybe you're not sure that you're allowed to get out of the boat. Maybe no one's ever given you permission to get out of the boat that you're in. Well, I want to give you permission. I'm sure Pastor Dexter won't mind. Hey, Pastor Dexter, I know you're listening to this. I just gave everybody permission. (laughs) They're all going to be wild when you get home. Sorry. I'm giving you permission tonight to get out of the boat, to get out of the boat, to get out of the boat, to go and do the thing that's in your heart to do. You know, that quiet little voice, you know, that internal gut feeling that you've had about something. Oh, yeah, I really want to do that, but no one's given me permission to do it. Who am I to have a go at that? How could I compete with the other people who are doing it? 
There's permission tonight for you to do what's in your heart for the Lord. There's permission. Come on, we're going to pray right now. I just feel like Holy Spirit's here. Just put your hand on your heart or something. Wherever you want to put your hand, just put it there. Father, we thank you right now for your permission. Father, we thank you actually for the parable of the talents right now. And you gave people gifts and skills and abilities and dreams and desires and graces and passions and personalities. And actually, God, you wanted a return on the investment that you made in us. You want it. Actually, you demand it. Because we know from that passage that when the master came home, he told them off for not using their talents. So actually, God, you expect us to use everything that you've given us. You expect us to obey your voice. You expect us that when you say, come, we'd be ready to go. So tonight, Jesus, we just repent for where we have not listened to your voice and obeyed. Jesus, tell us once more to come. And this time we'll do it. This time we'll do it. This time we'll do it. Say amen if you agree. How's your prayer life? I did this message at Oasis Church a few weeks ago and I made it so awkward because I stood on the stage like this smiling at everyone and I left it for about two minutes and they're all screaming about in their chair. Stop looking at me. Stop smiling. Stop asking me how my prayer life is. Stop making it so awkward, Pastor Christie. But really, how is your prayer life? How is your relationship with King Jesus? Because I tell you what I think a healthy relationship with God looks like. It looks like this. You would walk on waves when you're in the middle of a storm. That's what I think healthy relationship with God looks like. At some point, Peter stopped watching Jesus and he started watching the weather. And our faith needs focus. The moment that we lose focus, we begin to drown. The moment that we forget our why, our reason to stand strong in the middle of a storm, we drown. And Peter's faith, his focus shifted from Jesus' ability to the storm's ability. And Jesus said to Peter, are you of little faith? And translated, I'm amazed that you trust me so little. I'm amazed that you trust me so little. That grieves my heart, that statement. I'm amazed that you trust me so little. And it wasn't that Peter didn't have enough faith. He had faith because he got out of the boat and he actually walked on water. What Jesus is saying is that you had faith, but then you stopped because you began to doubt. And he's referring to the length of faith. The length of faith that he had. And sometimes we are really good at starting strong, aren't we? We have faith. We get out of the boat. We start walking. 
But then the minute something bad hits us, the minute we find ourselves in the middle of a storm, we take our eyes off the ability of Jesus Christ and we put them on the ability of the storm. And the length of our faith is diminished when we watch doubt, when we watch the weather and we let doubt creep in in its place. I'm nearly done here, guys. Are you doing okay? The disciples are striving. Jesus is there. Peter's drowning. They've got no idea what's going on (laughs) in the midst of the storm. There's chaos. There's confusion. Peter cries out. What does Jesus do? He saves him. Despite Peter's lack of faith, despite his weak moment of doubt, his striving in human flesh, Jesus reaches out and his arm is always out to save you, to teach you. And he's always trying to teach you something in the middle of a storm. He's always trying to teach us to think a different way. And I'm just going to skip a little bit for the sake of time because we want to do some praying tonight. Let's go to verse 34 and we'll finish on this. Verse 34 says this. When they'd crossed over, they landed at Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognised Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. And people brought all their sick to Him and begged Him to let them just touch the edge of His cloak. And all who touched it were healed. And this is my final point, everybody. There is always somebody waiting for you on the other side of your storm. In this case, on the other side of the storm was the Gentile people. And Jesus had been trying to teach the disciples about the bread, the feeding of the 5,000, that He did not want to be their provider, although He does that and He's happy to do that. He wanted to be their bread. He wanted to be the one thing that we could never do without the one thing that we could hunger and thirst for. And He wanted the disciples to know that there would come a time soon where He just wouldn't be food for Jews, but He would be food, bread for Gentiles. And here they are waiting for Jesus. People who don't know Jesus, people who are far from God, people who don't know the stories of the Old Testament who never committed to learning them because they never thought that they could. They never thought they could have a relationship with God. Yet here come the disciples who have learned something about Jesus in the middle of this storm. Jesus has revealed Himself to them in a fresh new way. He said to them, I am. I am more powerful. I am more glorious. I can overcome everything that's overcoming you. And they come to the other side of the lake and there are people there who don't know God. And let me tell you, when you go through storms and God reveals Himself to you, He shows you a different facet of who He is, a different piece of His character or His nature. There are people waiting for you on the other side who need that revelation, who need to be fed with what God has shown you about who He is. 
There is always someone waiting for you on the other side of your storm. It's not only just for you. It's for all the people around about your life right now that don't know Jesus. And you have bread. You have bread. You have a portion of understanding of the nature and the character of the God who walks on the waves, who helps people to overcome in their lives. Will you feed them? Will you give them something to eat? I feel like maybe we should just have a little bit of a prayer time, a little bit of a ministry time. To close tonight, I've given you lots of information. <laughs> but I really feel for you, Oikos Church, that you're an, you're an excellent bunch of people, actually. I feel like you're a people of excellence. I just, you know, you're not a big church, but you have an excellent worship team. And you're a good-looking bunch of young people. And God has given you skills and abilities and personality and passion. And this morning, no, not this morning, tonight. He's also the Lord over the time. I feel like He wants to break limitation of some of you. He wants you to get out of the boat walk on the water at his word come and so if that's you tonight why don't we all just stand right now first